Take your Bible to Isaiah chapter 53, please. In your Bible, Isaiah 53. Good to be here today, and it's good to be a part of this great nation. I'm looking forward to the election and all the promises that goes thereby. A little boy was sitting at the table one evening, feverishly working on a project. Mother came in and asked Johnny, what are you doing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. The mother said, well, Johnny, nobody knows what God looks like. Johnny said, they will when I get through. I hope today. When I get through, you'll know what God is really like. Isaiah 53 is just an Old Testament chapter unfolding a New Testament verse. It's a prophetic unfolding of John 3:16. The Bible said, For God so loved this world. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 700 years before Jesus came to this earth, 700 years before the innkeeper rejected him, 700 years before Pilate said, I find no fault in him, 700 years before Jesus lifted his feeble voice and said, it's finished. Isaiah gives us a divine description of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 1, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, that when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I think sometimes we try to paint the picture of Jesus too pretty and leave the Holy Spirit out of his homework of convicting, convincing, and assuring us that Jesus is really who he said he was. Who hath believed our report? Not many. Why did not the believers report? Because to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? The arm speaks of might, of power. And when Jesus came the first time, he did not come in might and power. He come humbly, lowly. Riding on a donkey, if you please, submitting himself to the woes and the sorrows of man. So who should believe that he is who he said he was? Because there's no comeliness and no beauty that we should behold him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
we hid, as it were, our faces from him, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Well, I tell you, when you read this, you'd think Isaiah is standing at the foot of the cross, would you not? 700 years before the cross. And Isaiah is so depicted and so descriptive. Surely he hath borne our sorrows and borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought for he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Shall we pray? Our Father, today surely we tread upon holy ground. Lord, it's hard to read the portion of Scripture that we've just read without it touching deep in our hearts and souls how much our Savior really loved us. And Lord, for no no cause at all of his own did he go to the cross. But as I read today, Jesus came to pay a debt he did not owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. I pray, Lord, that you'd unfold and open our hearts today to the truth of the Word of God. We thank you for the singing. We thank you for the veterans. We thank you for the soldiers. But, Lord, we thank you that you died in our place that we might live. We pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's amazing to me that 700 years before Christ came to this earth, 700 years before John chapter number 1 where it says in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. 700 years before verse 14 and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. It's an amazing thing to me that Isaiah could look down through the eons of time and see an old rugged cross. And see the Son of God hanging there for yours and my sins. How descriptive he is in describing not only the person of the cross, but the purpose of the cross. And the provision of the cross. And the protection of the cross. We have a wonderful God. And we have a book that's true. Now, the 700 years he could explain. I I guess probably Isaiah 53 is one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. Isaiah is very descriptive as such, and he brings that description out in the names he attributes to our Lord. Could I please show you just one or two of them? Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse 6. Just a few names, descriptive terms, if you please, to identify our Lord. Again, years before his birth, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a child, is, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now watch this. And his name shall be called Wonderful. <laughs> I like that term, don't you? That's how my wife refers to me. Mr. Wonderful. This is how I relate to her, Counselor. Almighty God, Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. Those names are descriptive of our Lord Jesus. Notice over in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Again, Isaiah describes our Lord by his descriptive terminology, his name. The Bible says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. If you turn to Matthew 1 and 23 sometime, you'll find that that name Emmanuel means God with us. Descriptive terminology, descriptive names. Jesus is known by many names. He's known as the Son of God, the Son of Man. Christ, King of Israel, King of kings and Lord of lords, Savior. He's known by many names. But notice what I want to call your attention to today in verse 3 of Isaiah 53. The Bible says, a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. 
acquainted with grief. Not a man of sorrow singular, but a man of sorrows. He knew the sorrow of emotions. He knew the sorrow of sickness. He 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 knew the sorrow of separation. He knew the sorrow of loneliness. He knew the sorrow of rejection. There's not a sorrow that you'll ever experience that your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did not first experience. No valley you've ever gone through, no mountain you've ever climbed, no river you have ever swam, but what he has been there before you. And we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Now notice. But in all fashions such as we was tempted and yet without sin. You've never had a hurt that he has not experienced and does not empathize with you in that hurt. A man of sorrows. Can you imagine that? man of sorrows, the God of this universe who stepped out on the ledge of nothing one day and spoke and everything come into existence. And surely he must have had joy and pleasure in seeing all that he's created. Then he created man. I dare say God has no sorrow over the animals he created. I dare say that he has never sorrowed over the kingly pride of a great lion, but I'd say that you and I, on a regular basis, gives him sorrow. A man of sorrow. King of kings, yes. Lord of lords, yes. Riding on a horse of triumph and great power, yes. But don't forget the mule that he rode into town on. And don't forget the town he rode into when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest and stonest the prophet, how oh, I would gather thee as a hen doth gather checking, but with tears in his eyes, a sorrow in his heart, brokenhearted because of ungodly men and women like us who hung him on a cross, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, it says. Didn't it say that? Could I please speak to you for just a little while today on the man of sorrows? He knew the sorrow of scorn. Could I please just go back a few years? I think this week was the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam War. Is that right? This past week. I don't know of any people in my lifetime that were scorned like the heroes who came back from Vietnam. Men in this service today can tell you what it's like to come back expecting a ticket parade only to feel rejection and scorn by those protesting that war who tore their draft cards up and went to Canada, bless your heart, 
while somebody else is fighting for our freedom. I think that those men who bravely and, and should have received all the accolades of anyone who's ever gone to fight the battles for this country, I think they should have been celebrated and they should have been cheered and they should have been congratulated. But no, they came back to scorn. Movie stars smoking their pot, voting in politicians who didn't have enough brains to smoke. Producing political wars for their own advantage while our men, brave men and women, crawling in holes and caves trying to root out the enemy. We don't understand and we'll never understand, but if you got along with some of these brave men and women who went to Vietnam and fought that terrible war and how they felt when they got back, I think maybe they could tell you a little bit about score. But they're not the only one. Someone was scorned before they were. Someone was rejected before you were rejected. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, if you would please, I, I bring your attention, if you would please, back to verse number 3. The Bible says that he was a man of sorrows. Nothing hurts like rejection. Nothing hurts like a wife telling the husband, your breath stinks. Nothing hurts like a wife, husband saying to the wife, is that part of you on the nightstand laying over there? Nothing hurts like the wife saying to the husband, is that your nose or are you eating a banana? Rejection is a terrible thing. Terrible thing to be rejected. Rejected because of our weight. Rejected because of our, our nose. Rejected because uh, of something else. Uh, I've been rejected all my life. When I was a, about when I was supposed to be pretty, I was ugly. And now that I'm supposed to be ugly, now I'm pretty. <laughs> Things are mixed up, huh? Back when everybody wanted straight hair, I had kinky hair. Now everybody wants kinky hair. Mine ain't. Hair, it's gone. I just was born at the wrong time. Can you say, man, anybody like that around you? And just feel rejected, you know. Uh, but let me tell you something. Our Lord and Savior knows all about rejection and scorn. Notice, if you would please, in John 7, he was scorned by his family. For neither did his brethren believe in him rejected and scorned by his family. Not only was rejected by his family, he was scorned by his friends. John 1, 11. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. The Lord Jesus knows all about scorn and rejection, knows all about how we feel when somebody rejects us. You're not by yourself. You have somebody who has been there before you got there and loves you and wants to be with you and empathize with you and help you through your rejection and your scorn. 
They, they, oh, there was no beauty that they should behold him. There was no comeliness that they should want him. There's nothing attractive about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not especially good-looking, broad-shouldered, square-jawed like myself. He was... You'll get that after a while. I talk too fast sometimes. But he was scorned, bless your heart, scorned by his family, scorned by his friends, and scorned by his followers. John 6, verse 64, But there are some of you that believe not. Hey, look, man, it's okay. He's a man of sorrows. He's your man of sorrows. He sorrowed just like you sorrow. He hurts just like you hurt. He felt just like you feel. And you're not in this thing by yourself. Aren't you glad of that? You say, well, you don't understand what's going on. I don't have to. He does. Nobody understands me. You say, nobody. Somebody does. Somebody is tempted in all fashion. Somebody has experienced the same woes. Somebody has experienced the same rejection. And he did it. For you. He was scorned by his followers. He was scorned by his foes. If you read the Bible from Matthew to the book of the Revelation, his life was started with rejection. Down at the end, they had no room for him, if you please. It was ended by rejection when they hung him on the cross and said, We don't want anything to do with you. His whole life was rejection and scorn. The Bible says they stood and vehemently accused him, a man of sorrows. John 3, 16, the one who came, the one who bled, the one who died, was scorned so that he might know how it feels to be scorned. Was rejected so that he might know how you feel when you're rejected. Oh, what a wonderful Savior we have. His name is wonderful because he went to the cross. His name is wonderful because he's a man of sorrows. I look across the sanctuary today and I see faces. And when I see faces... I attribute experiences and situations. I see husband and wife who's just on the verge of divorce. I see kids having to make a choice of which parent they're going to go after. I'll be preaching a funeral Tuesday of a member who helped us start this church, charter member, not the mom and daddy, the daughter, who was just a little kid. And I can look at faces and I can see sorrow. But you're not the only one that ever had any sorrow. I'm not the only one that ever experienced sorrow. Because my blessed Savior is a man of sorrows. Notice it didn't say a God of sorrows. 
He became a man that he might feel what we feel. He became a man that he might experience what we experience. He became a man that he might empathize with us. He became a man of sorrows that he might understand our sorrows. Oh, no, we're not the first one. We're not the first one that's been rejected, not the first one that's been smitten, not the first one that's been afflicted. No, not, we're not the first one. He became a man that as a man he might understand how men feel and what men need. Could I have an amen? Huh? Allah don't know anything about that. Buddha's still fat. They're all rock and stone and flesh. But thank God our God is a God of love and a man of sorrows. Isaiah 53 says, We hid, as it were, our faces from him. Have you ever said anything to your wife out of a broken heart and she just ignored you? It'd be terrible if I told my wife my dog died and she didn't say, I'm glad. But when he was doing all of this for us, we turned our back on him and hid, as it were, our faces from him. But he loved us anyhow. And he still loves us anyhow. And there's nothing you can do to make God not love you. You say, nobody loves me. Oh, yes, they do. Does it make you mad when somebody tells you that your dog is ugly? Now, I don't think it hurt anybody if somebody told my wife her husband was ugly. She better not mess her dog. A man of sorrows. A man of sorrows that knew all about Scorn. Could I please leave this with you? He knew the sorrows of suffering. Verse 3, look at it. Acquainted. Acquainted with grief. Grief can be defined as sickness or disease. Anxiety, affliction, or evil, or calamity. Our Lord is acquainted with suffering. He suffered persecution on a regular basis. He suffered poverty because he had not a place to lay his head. He suffered physical pain as not many will ever suffer. 
So let me help you a little bit now. In your suffering, don't you dare say, no one understands because he understands. He suffered in all fashion such as us, and yet would not sin. I bet this is something you never thought much about. Jesus was acquainted with grief. He was acquainted with desire. We have a big desire capacity. You ever notice that? If we have this kind of car, we have a desire for this one. And then a different desire for this one. I'd just like to have one paid for. I wouldn't care what color it is. I wouldn't care what kind of tires it's got on it. If it just paid for. You say, well, don't you have some paid for? Let's go on the next verse, because I, I just like to talk about desire, all human needs and desires. What, what do you desire today? What do you desire that you don't have? You know you're not the first one ever had that desire. Jesus was acquainted with all of our desires. Jesus had desires just like us. He got thirsty. He got hungry. He got tired of walking, so he bought a mule. In those days, you could buy a mule for 24 months, nothing down. <laughs> right? Huh? Hadn't have new tires ever so often to get a new mule. Jesus had desires just like us. Nobody knows what I is. Oh, yeah, somebody knows. Somebody knows. He's acquainted with all our desires, all our griefs. He's acquainted not only with our desires, but he's acquainted with disease. He was touched with the feeling of our infirmities, the Bible says. And as I look out over the auditorium, I, this family member is sick, and this one just had surgery, and this one uh, is, has an appointment, and this one's old like me. We all are getting sick or sickly. But I want you to know something. Don't get on pity party, because Jesus has the same desires. He's acquainted with the same diseases. Jesus is acquainted with deception. Tempted, tested, and tried. Deceived, duped, and dumped. Criticized, criminalized, and crucified. Even the innkeeper all the way to the king. All of them rejected him from the Pharisee to the priest, from the enemies to his own. And Jesus looked at his disciples and listened to what he said. Will ye also go away? He's acquainted with suffering. Nobody knows the trouble I see. Nobody knows but Jesus. Ha! Oh, yeah. You're not in that valley by yourself. You're not riding this horse all by yourself. You say, it sure seems like it. Well, I got good news for you, ladies and gentlemen. 
Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Because he commended, proved, showed his love for you in it while you were yet a sinner. You know the rest of that verse? He unfolded Isaiah 53 for us. Notice this. His sufferings. Watch this. Verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Have you read this verse? But he was wounded. For whose transgressions? Ours. He was bruised for whose iniquities? Ours. And the chastisement of whose peace was upon him? And with his stripes, who are healed? Let that soak down just a little bit. We're not talking about a bomber. We're not talking about who's running the Republic, 15 Republican promises. We're talking about somebody who proved he loved us by carrying our griefs, carrying our sorrows, being smitten of God and afflicted and wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and chastised because for our peace, and with his stripes we are healed. That ought to make a Methodist shout. Amen. You didn't do this by yourself. You're not going to get to heaven about you've done. You get to heaven, you'll get there because of what he's done. Amen. Painted 700 years before Jesus came, now 2,000 years away, and bless your heart, 2,700 plus years ago, Jesus showed us how much he loves us. Don't you think it's about time we're showing him how much we love him? Oh, you say, it don't bother Jesus. Oh, yes, it does. He's acquainted with grief. I wonder how much sorrow I have given my Lord since I've been saved. Forty-nine years ago last Thursday in my living room in Farmer's Branch, Texas, a sorry, no good reprobate like me slid off my couch, bowed my knee, and asked the Lord to come into this sorry sinner's heart and save him. Forty-nine years ago, I wonder how many times I've broken his heart. How many times I've disappointed him. How many times has, have I heaped upon him the sorrows that he went to Calvary to die in my place. Yes, as a man of sorrows, he experienced suffering. I want to close. You say yes, and I want you to. He knew the sorrows of sin. Somehow or another, that don't sound right, because sin must be fun. 
Come on, Baptist, your halo's crooked. You, you need to shine it a little bit. Have you ever noticed how much fun sin is? Well, preacher, I, I, I don't like to sin. You ever heard of lying? Verse 5, watch this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 8, watch this. The latter part of the verse. For the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Verse 10. In the middle of the verse. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Verse 11, last part. He shall bear their iniquities. As a man of sorrow, he was, he knew all about the sorrow of sin. As a man of sorrow, he knew all about the sorrow of suffering, the suffering of, the sorrow of scorn. I don't know just how in-depth you would like to get with this sin deal. But I was thinking about a verse the other day. As a man of sorrow, he knew the sorrow of sin. Second Corinthians 5 and 21. He knew the sorrow of sin. For he hath made him to be sin for us. that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, on that cross, that was my sin hanging on that cross. God hath made Him, Christ, to be sin for us. And when Jesus hung on that cross... God did not see his son. He saw my sin. Hanging on that cross was your sin. God made Christ to be sin for us. He was wounded for my sin. He was bruised for my sin. He knew sorrow because of my sin. He was afflicted because of my sin. He was made sin for us. And because on that cross, God made Christ to be sin for us. Didn't I hear somebody say, my God, my God, why? Hast thou forsaken me? You remember who said that? You remember where he was when he said that? He was hanging between heaven and hell. And God had piled all of 
eternity's sin on him. He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God being holy and cannot look upon sin on the cross, God turned his back on his son. He became black as sackcloth. And through the blackness, the piercing voice of eternity says, My God, my God, what was thou forsaken? As a man of sorrow, he was made sin for us. And as the man of sorrow, he was separated from God because of our sin. Oh, he became our substitute on that cross. But God commended his love toward us in it while we were yet sinners. You know the rest of it? Christ died for us. Years ago when I was in evangelism, I thought I got a new light on the Bible. And I put together a sermon. And I put it together like this. God loved us so much that he looked down and saw the wickedness of our heart was continually evil. Because God looked down, God came down. But God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He looked down, He came down, and then He laid down. Second John 3.16, and He laid down His life for all. He looked down, He came down. He laid down. Hmm. And then he sat down. And this high priest, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Is anybody here glad that he looked down and saw that we needed a Savior? Is anybody here today glad that he come and came down because he loved us so much? And that he laid down his life at Calvary and saved us and blessed God when it's all over, he sat down. Well, I just think we have had a good time today. Verse 9, I close with these verses. And he made his grave of the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be 
What's the word? Satisfied. God sees what Jesus done on the cross. The payment of sin has been satisfied. You don't have to die on the cross to go to heaven. Somebody else already did it for you. You don't have to work hard to get to heaven. You just got to accept God's passage in his name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what a wonderful Savior he is. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Well, yes, he is a wonderful Savior. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. But I know him as the man of sorrows who was afflicted and bore my sin on Calvary's tree. And I want you to know what he did today, what he did on that cross is sufficient for anybody in you. Preacher, I'm so mean, God can't save me. There ain't nobody that mean. Preacher, I've done things God can't forgive me for. There ain't nobody like that. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For whosoever. Won't you turn to one next to you and say, you're a whosoever. Go ahead, just, you're a whosoever. I didn't say whatsoever. I said whosoever. Do you know any whosoevers? Do you know that's who Jesus died for? Do you know that if you're a whosoever, you can have your name written in the book of life? All your sins gone, forgiven, thrown behind the back of God, never to be looked at again. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. Father, today we thank you and we love you for the Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for its simplicity. We thank you, Lord, for its efficiency. We thank you, Lord, for its sufficiency. And, Lord, I pray today, in these last days in which we live, Lord, there will be a great influx of people realizing that Jesus has already paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin has left its crimson stain, but Jesus' blood can wash it white as snow. Lord, save the lost. Encourage the saved. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Quietly and reverently, would you stand as we sing one verse, maybe two verses. We're not going to tarry long.
God has spoken to your heart. You need to say, yes, I would like to receive this Savior.